What's up, Pop Punk Posse? Welcome back to the Pop Punk Project. As you all know, I am your co-host, Kanan. And I'm your other co-host, Mike. Thanks for joining us once again for Episode 7, where we'll be discussing brand new's debut album, Your Favorite Weapon. Now, we didn't want to begin our discussion of this album before mentioning the following up front. In late 2017, Jesse Lacey, brand new's lead singer and primary songwriter, was accused of sexual misconduct by two women, who alleged that 15 years prior, events occurred when they were underage and Lacey was in his mid-20s. Lacey apologized publicly and admitted to having a sex addiction in his past, which he had sought treatment for over a decade before the allegations were brought public. We understand that these topics might be sensitive to portions of our audience, so we just want to give you a heads up and let you know that it might come up in conversation later. Having said that, Brand New is a big band in the pop-punk universe, and this album is very important in the pop-punk canon, so it should be looked at in our pop-punk project. That's right, Mike. So let's go ahead and stage dive in. Brand New was formed back in Long Island, New York in the year 2000. Great year, Mike. It was a great year. And your favorite weapon was their debut album released through Triple Crown Records on October 9th, 2001. So Jesse Lacey, he was the lead singer. He also played rhythm guitar. Vinny Accardi was their lead guitarist, and he also sang backing vocals. Brian Lane was on drums, and Garrett Tierney was their bass player, also did a little bit of backup vocals as well. That's right. And Jesse, Garrett, and Brian had all been in a band previously called The Rookie Lot. That band eventually broke up, and after a period of inactivity, the three of them missed playing shows together, so they got the band back together, but with Vinny joining the group. And their name, Brand New, was actually given to them in jest by Garrett and Brian, because there wasn't a whole lot at this time that was new about them. They were playing their old songs with their old members, so it was kind of a joke, oh, we're all brand new, when they had been in the scene for a while, and they were kind of pretty well known by that point in time. These guys are comedians, Mike. Your favorite weapon was produced by Mike Sapone, or Mike Sapone, who was a friend of the band. The whole album was actually re-recorded because the original recording was lost on a computer's hard drive. So everything they wrote, gone, and they had to redo it. That's got to be pretty demoralizing. That's such a 2000 problem. <laughs> yeah, that's true, because now everything saves in the cloud. and Yeah, now it saves too many places. That's true. That's very true. And actually, it's funny because Brand New had issues later in their career with their demos being leaked, but that's neither here nor there. What were some of their influences, Mike? Do you have any info on that? So when Lacey was interviewed about his influences when writing this album, he mentioned the band uh, Lifetime. That was the band in the Fall Out Boy album. They mentioned that that was one of their influences as well. They were this lesser known hardcore band from New Jersey. So they've come up twice now, which is kind of crazy. Kind of makes me think we should check them out at some point. I mean, I have. I listened to a couple of their songs after the Fall Boy episode, and they were pretty good. I mean, it's a very raw sound. It's not really like any of the bands that we actually listen to, but it's good. They're good. In addition to Lifetime, he also mentioned Foo Fighters, The Cars, and The Smiths. And The Smiths actually get name-dropped on this album. They were a more uh, 
moody 80s band, but we'll get to that later. And in addition to Jesse's influences, the band would also listen to several bands while they were touring in their van. Bands they mentioned were Saves the Day, Modest Mouse, and Green Day. According to members of the band, all the songs were actually written during their teenage years. So some of these songs were written two to three years before the record even came out. So they had just been sitting on some of this material for a while. Right. And we'll kind of see some themes talk about that point in their lives pretty thoroughly. So that was interesting to see. It made a lot of sense. And after releasing this album, they toured extensively. The summer after they released this album, they actually did a tour with, get this, Keenan, Taking Back Sunday. I thought they were in a big feud with Taking Back Sunday at that time. I guess they were back when they wrote these songs in high school, but it seems like they at least buried the hatchet enough to realize that it was in everybody's best interest to do a tour together. But I thought that was interesting. So, Keenan, can you let us know what in the world is going on here? In early October 2000, on October 2nd, the TV show Scrubs, starring Zach Braff as J.D. Dorian, premieres on NBC. That was always one of my favorite TV shows throughout high school. Thought it was hilarious. Uh, I know that our good buddy Mike Tubes, he owned several seasons of that. And on a typical Friday or Saturday night, we would be in his basement digesting episodes of that. Did you watch that show? I love that show as well. I was introduced to it probably like I would guess a lot of people in reruns on Comedy Central. It seemed like for a couple years in high school, they would run that show constantly in the evening. So I caught a lot of it then and actually then began watching it live after I kind of caught up through reruns. So definitely a really good show. And I don't remember where I heard this, but I think at the time there was actually an interview of real life doctors asking them which hospital show was most realistic, like between ER, Grey's Anatomy and Scrubs, things like that. Mm -hmm. And the overwhelming majority said that Scrubs was the most accurate portrayal of day-to-day life in a hospital so that's pretty crazy because it's obviously a comedy and there's a lot of far-fetched stuff that happens in it but i guess the actual hospital work is somewhat realistic it's pretty cool and scrubs did a really good job of blending really funny moments with really heart-touching ones they would i remember that it had that really natural ability to do that another early october news october 5th Honestly, King, when I saw this, I cannot believe this was 2000, because I thought, I could have sworn this happened in the mid-2000s, but Barry Bonds hit his 71st and 72nd home run in an 11-10 loss versus the Los Angeles Dodgers, but in doing so, he broke Mark McGuire's single-season home run record, so they had been tied for 70, Bonds passed him on the 71st, and eventually ended his season with the current record of 73, although... That's disputed due to steroid use allegations. That's interesting. Do you know what year was the competition for the most home runs between Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa? That was 98. That was 98. Okay. Because that one I remember vividly. Right. My dad, who's not a huge fan of sports, was obsessed with that. I remember him recording it because he thought it was this huge historical thing. It was at the time. I remember we were eight, nine years old. And it felt like Sammy Sosa or Mark McGuire was hitting a home run every single night. And it was really an exciting time. And when McGuire ended the season with 70, you would have thought that that record would stand the test of time. And here, only two seasons later, 
Bonds already knocked him off the leaderboard. So there's actually a pretty good 30 for 30 that came out recently called Long Gone Summer. And it does a really good job of highlighting that home run race between Sosa and Maguire with poignant interviews from both of them. So definitely check that out if it's something that interests you. I guess it's easy to break the record every year when you're just constantly cheating. So <laughs> <laughs> on October 15th, little science news. I don't know how much science news we've really discussed yet, but October 15th, NASA's Galileo spacecraft passes within 112 miles of Jupiter's moon Io. Sounds like a pretty big deal to me. I don't know a whole lot about space and space travel, but sounds like it's a pretty big deal. I know that our friend Charlie Kelly would probably have something to say about this. And I do want to take a quick second to give Charlie a shout out because Charlie, since day one of this podcast, he was a huge influence on us starting this podcast at all. And he's given us a lot of help along the way, figuring out how to produce it, figuring out how to make decent content. And so Charlie just wanted to give you a humongous shout out, let you know that you're beloved by the Pop Punk Project and we appreciate all you do. Hey, Keenan. What's that, Mike? The only thing I know about Jupiter is that that's where boys go to get more stupider. That is very true. And you know why I don't take the time to learn more about Jupiter? Why is that? Because I find the process irritating and overwhelming. If only there were a podcast we could listen to that kind of dumbed down complicated papers and theories for the common man like you and myself. Wait a minute. I think I've heard one before. You have? Yeah, the Paperboys podcast. And I'm pretty sure one of the creators and hosts is our good pal, Charlie Kelly. Wow. Who would have thought? (laughs) What are the odds? Man, we should go check that out after this because I've heard it's very interesting, very knowledgeable, and very entertaining. But make sure you listen to the end of this episode first. Yeah, and all of ours before that. (laughs) (laughs) But eventually, listen to the Paperboys podcast. Love you, Charlie. So October 21st, one day after my, uh, my dad's birthday, October 20th, big shout out to Tim. Happy birthday, Big Tim. The United We Stand benefit concert for the 9-11 attacks was held at RFK Stadium in Washington, D.C. Organized and headlined by the King of Pop, Michael Jackson. Whoa. And featuring Aerosmith, Mariah Carey, and the Backstreet Boys. That's insane. There's not a single pop punk band in that lineup. Are they crazy? (laughs) No, I think they knew exactly what they were doing. (laughs) (laughs) You're telling me that Goldfinger didn't perform? (laughs) I don't know if... There was the time to listen to all of this anti-authority type of music. Oh, that's a good point. We need to trust our elected officials and believe that they were steering us in the right direction. You need an artist to bring the people together like Backstreet Boys. I get it. I get it. <laughs> what are the blandest, most <laughs> popular artists we can get? <laughs> yeah. That sounds like a who's who of halftime shows at the time. Oh, yeah. There's your typical lineup there. On October 23rd, some tech news, Mike. Apple releases the iPod. Not the iPod Nano, not the iPad, the iPod. The OG. The OG iPod. I guess that sounds like the right time for that, but it seems like, I feel like that was also mid-2000s as well, but maybe that's just around the time we got iPods? I don't know. I don't know. Did you have an iPod? I didn't have the first one. Nah, me neither. The first one, I think, I'm going to get this wrong, but the amount of songs it could hold was unfathomable at the time but I think it was like a couple hundred. Yeah, something like that. So by today's standards, like laughable. Right. I remember my mom at the time when iPods were starting to come out, 
she bought a knockoff version for my brother Shane and it held like 20 songs. That's awesome. <laughs> Was it? 20 songs? <laughs> <laughs> That's like That's like an album. You couldn't even hold all of the Beatles White album on that thing. I know. So <laughs> not that awesome. Uh mom, I have a thing it's called the CD player. Yeah. That is funny. I think my first iPod was my silver iPod mini, which was like four gigs, I think, which is insane because that's literally like what one of our episodes is. I know. It's unreal. And then finally, on October 28th, the indie cult hit Donnie Darko starring Jake Gyllenhaal is released. That is one of your favorite movies of all time, isn't it? I mean, it was for a while. I think I might have outgrown it, I guess, but it's one of those movies where it's fun to rewatch it every once in a while. But in high school, I thought this was the deepest film ever made. And it's funny because I was digging through some of my old like journals recently looking for stuff I might have written about these bands at the time. I think one of our English teachers actually just told me to just always write in a journal so you practice your writing. But anyway, I found one of my entries from 2008. And check this out. I did curse in this. Should I say the curse words? I mean, how bad are they? The F ones. Oh, boy. Now say fudge. I'll censor it. I just found out this news, and i you'll find out I was pretty upset. They're making an effing sequel to Donnie Darko. I'm so pissed off. <laughs> S. Darko about his effing little sister, Samantha, whose only line in the first film was, what's a... Fuck ass. F that. I'm so pissed. Never going to see that S. Wait, you just said you weren't going to curse and then you cursed. Well, that was a quote. Oh, all right. Sorry, continue. That's the only circumstance in which is okay. Oh, okay. Gotcha. So anyway, that's all I wrote. But I was obviously oh. pretty upset. <laughs> yeah, wow. That I didn't realize that is something that would grind your gears. But At the time, it was a very important movie to me, and I think it was a perfect movie, so there's no reason to make a sequel. I never, I never did see it. I can say that uh, for certain. I knew that this was one of your favorite albums back in the day, Mike. You were a huge fan when it came out. You've been a big fan ever since. What do you remember about it? What are the things that stand out? This was kind of a similar experience to what I've had with other pop-punk bands, where one of their earlier albums came out probably right before I got into this type of music, I was just a little bit too young. So I'd actually heard Brand New's album Deja Intendu first, I believe. And I think that was through people at camp. It might have been through Tom Garwood or the guys in Stars Fall In. I think they're pretty big Brand New fans as well. It's funny that you mentioned Tom Garwood. One time at camp, he was listening to something on his CD player and I asked him what it was. And he said, oh, dude, you wouldn't like these guys. You wouldn't get them. It's Linkin Park. Like You've never heard of them. <laughs> I was like, dude, who is Linkin Park? These guys must be amazing, like this real underground band. So just want to throw that out there. Nice. He was the man, but he was too cool for school. Dude, well, he actually was the man, so. I know, he actually was the man. Probably still is. I mean, anybody that saw our Instagram and saw you performing Sum 41 in the past couple of weeks, if that little twerp walks up to you and asks what you're listening to, you're not going to give him the, the secret that is Linkin Park's sweet, sweet. That's a very good point. <laughs> Unless he knows that I'm the lead singer of the popular band Gummy Bear Warriors. That's right. Yeah, so after I heard Deja, which is what true fans call it, they don't bother with the full name, um, I went out and bought this album, and 
I think grew to love it equally, even though it wasn't the first one they heard. So this was one of my favorite albums all throughout high school because it's very angsty in nature. And it's very quotable with a lot of lyrics that still stand out to me. So what was your first experience with this album, Keenan? So I will say, I'll admit off the bat that I'm not as huge of a fan of this album as you are. And I didn't know it as much back in the day. I've heard the entire thing straight through a couple times, but it was not one that I would listen to over and over again consistently. I don't know why, I just wasn't as drawn to it. And I did really like their other album, Intendu, which is what the not huge fans call it, just so you're aware. Uh, but, but I did love that album. And this one, there are a couple songs that when I re-listened to it again, I was like, oh yeah, these were good songs. I remember these. And I know the lines in the chorus and I know the melodies. But a lot of these songs, listening through again, I actually rediscovered. Some of them I honestly didn't even remember. So for me, this week is all about rediscovering an album that I don't necessarily remember that well. But what I will say is that it did remind me what a good songwriter Jesse Lacey is. I think a lot of these songs are well-written. What's kind of cool is they almost play out like stories, whereas a lot of the Blink songs and Sum 41 songs, there wasn't a whole lot of narrative element to them. These songs do have that, which I thought was cool. So since you're a huge fan of it and you remember it probably a little better than I do, what are a couple of the themes that stand out? Well, first and foremost, I think it's easy to discern that at least at the time that Jesse wrote these songs, he was one angry and angsty dude. He was, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to be echoing back a bit to the Taking Back Sunday feud that we alluded to last episode in our Tell All Your Friends discussion. This was the great Long Island War of the early 2000s. So there's still a lot of animosity being shown throughout this album, which I think as we found out last week, this was the original shots fired and then taking back Sundays, tell all your friends was them firing back. Yeah, it's cool that we're going to hear this side of the argument now. I think having that juxtaposition is going to be pretty interesting. For sure. There's also a lot of talk in these lyrics about being self-destructive. You know, you're not good enough. You procrastinate. It's almost like there's a lack of confidence, really. Definitely. And I think we'll see that as we go through this album. There's a lot of talk of kind of being a loser. There is, yeah. There's like several times where he's pining for women that he knows he can't have, and he's feeling all this self-doubt because of that. Kind of sad. It would be. Before we dive in, Mike, I got to get this out of the way. It's the question that everybody's wondering. What is your favorite weapon? Can I guess what it is? Because I think it also might be mine. Sure, but it's, it's not. No, guess, guess, guess. My guess is nunchucks. Oh. Are you serious? Well. Well, what is it then? Well, here's the thing, Keenan. Is that your favorite weapon? Yeah. Nunchucks are sweet. I guess nunchucks are my favorite traditional weapon. Oh, here we go. But. When you ask that question, I think of the phrase, the pen is mightier than the sword. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. If you were even intrigued in the least by my S. Darko scathing rant. That's a great point. Then you can tell that. You are a marksman with the pen. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I hung it up a long time ago. 
No, but in terms of Ninja Turtles, Michelangelo's my favorite, so the nunchuck always was my favorite weapon. Oh, okay. From a young age. Man. I mean, sorry. It's too late now to say sorry. <laughs> On next episode, Justin Bieber. <laughs> Justin Bieber's barreling towards a Jesse Lacey kind of life. <laughs> Uh, he's fine. Leave Bieber alone. Song number one, the shower scene. Keenan, this is a great upbeat leadoff track. <laughs> no. I know we don't say that too often. No. <laughs> <laughs> we start the album off with a little roll of the drum. Rat-a-tat-tat. That's right, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Big percussion start to the album. I think all the songs on this album are very strong. This one is one of my favorites. And it's a reference to Albert Hitchcock's film Psycho. Is that correct? The title, I mean? Yeah, that's what I assumed. Because the shower scene, that is what it's referred to as, you know, us film buffs know. It's actually the first time, well, I did take a Albert Hitchcock film class in college, and we did watch this movie. Hey. So... The actual stabbing was shown off screen and the knife and the tr- like eh, 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 that was used to create the obvious, you know, you understood what had happened. Then you see the blood pool in the tub. It was also one of the first times that a toilet was shown in a film. Whoa, scandalous. Because at the time it was considered just trash to have that in your film. Yeah. But as Norman Bates came into the bathroom, there's the toilet, there's the shower, shower scene ensues. So. I heard that they used Hershey's syrup as blood. The film was black and white, so you couldn't tell the difference, and it was thicker than just red-dyed water or whatever they used back then. So I know that it was very innovative to use that. That's a cool tidbit that I had read about at one point in time. So the song itself, I think, is about they're taking back Sunday Feud. I knew going into it that there were other songs specifically about it, but this one has to be about it too. The opening line is it's funny how your worst enemies always seem to turn out to be all of your best friends. Best friends. So that has to be about Take Max on It has to be about John Nolan. They were best friends. Jesse Lacey felt like he was stabbed in the back. Here we are. This sounds so stupid, but I never put together being stabbed in the back, the shower scene, psycho. Yeah, it's like a massacre. He's explaining this massacre of John Nolan betraying him. And this is the best analogy he could use and then there's that line later saying it's time for you to choose the bullet or the chapstick
That's got to be about his ex-girlfriend who cheated on him with John Nolan, right? I think so, too. Because she could either use a gun against John Nolan and, I guess, kill him, metaphorically, or she could use her chapstick and make out with him. Here's the thing, Keenan. Are they saying that the bullet or the chapstick is, like, choose your weapon? Because whether she kills him with a bullet or she puts on a, her chapstick and kisses and cheats on him with John Nolan, that has the same effect on him. It just crushes him. Yes or no? Um, you can say no. Yeah, I think both would be very bad for Jesse. <laughs> but I think kissing his best friend will probably be worse. <laughs> I think he'd probably be okay with her shooting him, knowing that he's a scumbag, in his opinion. <laughs> but, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just riffing here because I never really thought of what your favorite weapon might have meant in terms of anything on this album other than just the title of it. So just an idea. I think it's a very interesting observation. I think you're probably actually right about that. Here's another line that stuck out to me. So I update this almost every single day for you. I begin to hate you for your face and not just the things you do. Do you ever have just a hate the face kind of guy? Like, have there been people in my life where I just hate their face? Yeah. Yeah, like if somebody has a punchable face, sure. Yeah, that's what that reminded me of. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. I thought of the first day of high school when you're kind of looking around the room and you don't really know anybody yet. And (laughs) you're trying to gauge who these people are just based off of what they look like. Yeah. And you kind of form your preconceived notions of like, this kid is a jerk. This kid is probably weird. Yeah, that was like me first day of kindergarten when I was looking around the room and saw some big goofy kid with humongous glasses and i was like oh i can't wait to punch this guy's face <laughs> i think they were just normal size glasses i was just a six-year-old <laughs> that's true they looked big to me at the time i don't know and i think we can't move on without saying there was an altercation in kindergarten when <laughs> i don't know what happened but you had told the teacher that i was being a big jerk. Yep. And then I told the teacher that you were being a little jerk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we both had to stand by the flagpole for five minutes. And that's where it all began. Yeah. And speaking of our school colors, GMA, they were red and gold. And you actually caught this. In all my years of listening to it, I never really realized that. Um, What's the line from this song? Red gold. <laughs> it's literally just red gold, I told. Red gold, I told, we don't play fair. Red gold, I told. I hadn't known it either until I read the lyrics. You can't really hear it. It's sort of in the background. But yeah, I read the lyrics and I was like, oh, I had never heard this before. But red and gold, that was Gwen and Mercy's colors. And it's like red and gold day. Do you remember red and gold day when it was like a whole day of just outdoor activities? They would make up these stupid games and then we'd go and play them. And I guess you'd get points. And then at the end of the day... Whichever, whichever color had the most points across every single class, they would like announce it and everybody would cheer. It was essentially just our field day. It was our field day. Yeah, it was, that's exactly what it was. Like you said, it was red versus gold. And you always kind of wanted to be on team gold because then you could chant red is dead. Yeah. But then if you're on red, you would say gold is mold. <laughs> Which was <laughs> not as good. Lackluster. <laughs> no, not as good. But, you know, it rhymed. As I would come to find out years later as a camp counselor, it's kind of like whose line where the points are made up. I don't think anybody actually kept track of those points. No, there's no way. So many things were fudged. It was all fake. So we would have field day every Friday, and it was just like, 
Uh, 20 points. Yeah, exactly. Is that your Drew Carey impression? No, that was me as a camp counselor. Oh, gotcha. Okay. But we were probably around the same weight. <laughs> well, he's skinny now, so that's a compliment. <laughs> well, I'm skinnier than that. Skinnier. <laughs> uh, at Red and Gold Day, during my brother's eighth grade year, they were playing Capture the Flag on like the field hockey field or soccer field, and there were metal bleachers, which they used as jail. Oh, God. And he was running to jail to jailbreak everybody and free them, and somebody pushed him from behind. And he went face first into the bleachers and shattered his front teeth. And I remember being called into the nurse's office and the teacher was like, I was in like fifth grade and the teacher was like, Keenan, I just want you to know everything's going to be okay. And I went down there and Shane was lying in the little nurse's like off green sticky chair. Do you remember those like horrible chairs they had? Right. And he was like holding his teeth and just bleeding profusely. And I'm pretty sure I almost fainted. Man, I, I probably would have fainted. Poor Shane. Did he get that fixed? Or were they baby teeth? Or he was eighth grade, right? Yeah, they were his real teeth and he had to get them fixed. Oh, man. Did he actually jailbreak them? Yeah, of course, dude. With his face. <laughs> <laughs> they scattered. Everybody was free. He was the hero. That would be great if like he fell like a yard short. <laughs> Yeah. Like Tennessee Titans style. Yeah. And um, then it was like, all right, well, kids, you're still in jail. Yeah. And Shane, you're going home. Shane, you're going to the hospital. <laughs> yeah, that would have been worst case scenario. Good on Shane, man. Yeah, proud of him. The shower scene, Mike, also made me think of my favorite rom-com. Can you guess which one it is? There's so many to choose from, Keenan. The anticipation's killing me. <laughs> the classic mcconaughey hudson flick how to lose a guy in 10 days do you remember the shower scene <laughs> no boy was it steamy <laughs> I, I meant to watch it but <laughs> you've seen the movie right no what dude don't admit that is that a violation yeah that's bad you have to see it it's one of the greatest movies of all time it's definitely the best rom-com of all time okay i won't spoil it but was that like a pivotal point in the movie? Was that when she realized that she actually did love him or something? I've already said too much, and I won't say another word. Okay. I'll watch it. I'll watch it. I like McConaughey. For all the the members of the pop punk posse out there, they know what I'm talking about. Man. Track number two, Jude Law and the Semester Abroad. I do really like this song, and I think what makes it unique is that it does tell a pretty interesting story. There's a good narrative to it, and it's also oddly specific. It's like, girlfriend breaks up with boy, she studies abroad in the UK, which is specifically mentioned, boy thinks about all the hookups she has while she's there, and then he aggressively drinks to try to forget about her and move on. He's just consumed with these thoughts of what she's doing while she's over there. Right. I do wonder if it's based on something specific that happened when he was in college, I guess. Yeah, it definitely seems very specific, too specific enough to it not have been either a personal experience or maybe 
one of his friends that was going through a situation like this. It's funny because I actually told a friend of mine, MB, that we were going to be discussing this album soon. And she actually pulled a similar, I won't call it a trick, but a similar situation happened to her when she was in college. There was a guy she was dating. Uh-oh. Did she go to the UK and Well, she was cause her a ruckus? Not quite. So that's where it takes a little bit of a turn. So she was dating a guy that she wasn't that into it. The relationship had kind of run its course. So she had told him that she had planned on studying abroad. So she wanted to break up because she didn't want to do the long distance thing. Mm-hmm. And he wanted to try to make it work. She was just saying, what's the point? It's going to be six or five months away from one another. If we want to make it work when I get back, we can try it. But what are you going to do? She kind of wanted to initiate the breakup right then and there, which it worked. They broke up, but then she never ended up filling out the paperwork to go abroad. So, Oh, really? Yeah. So she stayed? So, Wait, did they get back together? No. Oh, that's awkward. Yeah. Why so, not? Because she, she wanted to break up with him anyway. Oh, so this that was just her excuse to get out of it. It was her excuse, but it was like going to be a legitimate excuse. Right. But it ended up that it didn't work out. And oh, then it was just kind of, uh, well, uh, no use in trying this again now. But Envy's um, devious. This song has a very special piece in her uh, adolescent heart. Wait, so whose side is she on in this song? I think she's on the side of just wanting to dump the guy that you're not into. <laughs> yeah. And here's, here's the other thing. So the chorus of the song, I'll just read it real quick. So it's tell all the English boys you meet about the American boy back in the States. The American boy you used to date who would do anything you say. And I think he tried to make that line like, oh, like he would do anything for her. But like, what a loser. Dude, I know. For real. <laughs> <laughs> like, could you like let it go, dude? In the Fallout Boy episode, there were these songs where he would say like, Hey, I know I'm not that good, and I know you're not into me, but hey, why don't you just flip me over to side B, or why don't you look deeper, and you might actually <laughs> yeah. like me. And he's basically begging her to get with him. That's kind of like this. Yeah, the side B stands for beta bozo. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, let me just real quick admit that I'm a loser, and then now will you get with me? <laughs> That's the self-loathing, and yeah, it's like, to an extent, self-deprecation is like kind of amusing and kind of endearing if you're like funny about it, but... This is just sad. Yeah. And I also wanted to mention, if it's okay with you. No. <laughs> Shut it down. <laughs> yeah, of course. Go ahead. As the bigger brand new fan, you might know this, but their albums do have a lot of biblical references. Yeah, this guy loves God. <laughs> <laughs> he could stand to get a little bit closer to God. Yeah. But I always thought of this one lyric in this song. And you alluded to it already, where the guy pretty much, once he gets broken up with and his girlfriend leaves him, he just drinks constantly. Mm -hmm. And the line is, I got a plan. I'll drink for 40 days and 40 nights, a sip for every secondhand tick. And every time you fed the line, you mean so much to me, I'm without you. So that 40 days and 40 nights, I always thought of going back to our Catholic school days. And if my parents are listening to this, the tuition dollars did go somewhere. But that's the temptation of Christ. He was 
baptized by John the Baptist, and then he was tempted by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights in the Judean desert. So Satan would come to him all the time and just try to tempt him and make him sin. And Jesus would have to, obviously he's Jesus, so he couldn't go and sin, but he fasted the entire time. So that kind of reminded me of like, this guy's trying to remain chaste and pure for his girlfriend who's off having the time of her life. And while he's not fasting per se, maybe he's just drinking every day. <laughs> yeah. So I was thinking maybe that could be, uh, if we get the college kids into that as like a, a drinking challenge, mm, mm-hmm. the temptation of Christ where you just live off of liquor for 40 days straight. Jeez. I'm in. It's doable. As long as you sleep in between. Welcome back to the scripture podcast. That was Deacon <laughs> Moynihan and uh, I am Preacher Clark. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Because a semester isn't 40 days and 40 nights. So that's the only reason why I think that. He might be comparing himself to Christ. This guy's got a big head, dude. He certainly does. Trek number three. Sudden death in Carolina. Oh boy, this one is a doozy. So this song is kind of, in my mind, being a teenager, being young, not really having a good grasp on things yet. And one line that always stuck out to me was, we beat each other up just like we always do. When I'm talking to myself, I'd always rather be talking to you. And that kind of always reminded me of, again, maybe we're talking about Jesse and John Nolan's fight here. Mm. When you fight with somebody all the time and like your best friend's and you beat each other up, but then if you lose that friendship, you end up missing them, you know? Yeah. It's just kind of Jesse admitting that he's a dumb kid. It starts out with the line, last night I swallowed liquor and a lighter, and this morning I threw up fire, and... Ugh, man. It's just one of those nights when you're up drinking, maybe uh, burn a couple Siggy Wigs. Siggy Wigs? <laughs> what do you call them? Burn a couple Siggy Wigs. <laughs> uh, that's good shit. That's what Steve would always say in college. He would say, anybody want a Siggy Wig? <laughs> it reminds me of like um, Christmas Carol, old Fezzy Wigs. <laughs> Last night, I swallowed liquor and a lighter. So do you think this song's about a flame swallower or <laughs> just a guy that's drinking and smoking some Siggy Wigs? Hey, well, throwback to your uh, circus reference a couple episodes ago. <laughs> no, I think it's... So you think it's a Siggy Wig? <laughs> Something Siggy Wig. But yeah, I think it is about being a teenager before you have too many life experiences and you don't know your limits when it comes to drinking, when it comes to socializing, 
And so you often overindulge and you pay for it the next day. And so I think he's literally talking about drinking too much and getting sick. And I think he's also figuratively saying that, oh, you're a kid, you make mistakes, and then the next day you deal with the repercussions of those mistakes. I think we all have those, well, we may still have them, but we definitely used to have those nights when we stayed up too late, we went a little bit too hard, and woke up feeling like crap the next day. And then another line in the song is, last night I fell asleep next to a liar and I woke up with a shiner. Yeah. So it's also learning who your friends are, you know? Yeah, sometimes you're attracted to the wrong type of people, you're attracted to the wrong crowd, and you get bumped and bruised for it. Right. There is some reference to friendship in this song. Possibly, again, the fight between Jesse and John Nolan from Taking Back Sunday. But the line is, we beat each other up just like we always do. When I'm talking to myself, I'd always rather be talking to you. Mm -hmm. So that reminds me of friendships that might have ended prematurely through silly fights. But then you think back and you kind of miss the companionship and the conversation that you used to have with that person that you had a falling out with. And then, of course, the song is called A Sudden Death in Carolina. So there's a story that transcends throughout about a girl killing her boyfriend again very dramatic and then that girl being held accountable on trial for this murder so that story is weaved throughout the interpersonal dialogue of drinking too much getting in fights with your friends brand new does a good job of telling stories in their songs there is that story that's also a part of the song as well it does make me feel a little uneasy because there are those mornings after a saturday night where you wake up and you're just like oh what bridges did I burn last night? You know what I mean? I don't think you and I have had too many of those, but sure, in college it happened and you wake up and you're like, oh, I made some mistakes. I really wish I didn't do that. I'm going to have to apologize to some people. And it just makes me feel very uneasy. When I was listening to the song, I would think back to those and I'm just like, oh, I would pay anything to take those back. I would agree with that. Even worse than the missteps or regrets that you would have in conversations, the sending of the drunk text message it's a killer. was not fun when we were growing up because that's in writing. Because usually if you're drinking, the people you're with are also drinking. So people may not remember things you said to them unless you really were being a jerk about it. Mm-hmm. But if you send that regrettable text, that's a tough one to, to overcome sometimes. In light of recent things, there are some lines and some topics covered in the song that today seem a little bit creepy and kind of dark. These lines, Mike, what difference does this difference in age make? I know how it ends. She'll kill me quick. Call 911. I'm already dead, but someone should be caught and held responsible for this bloody mess. Ooh, that is oddly foreshadowing, isn't it? Yes. Knowing what we know now, it's not great. Not great. Yeah. So I don't know. This was the first time in this album where I was kind of reading through and I was like, this doesn't look great in light of more recent developments. So I don't know. That's one thing I picked up on. Um, I'm sure there's going to be a couple more, but this was one of the first ones that I noticed. Right. All these songs are so upbeat and catchy for the most part that it's easy to overlook a lot of the lyrics. There are certain lines that stand out, but going through it with a fine tooth comb, you do pick up on certain lines that make you feel uneasy at best track number four 
is mixtape. So I know that later on in the song 70 times 7, that was the song that Jesse addresses the Tig Mac Sunday feud. And then Tig Mac Sunday respond with their song, There's No I in Team. But this song also has some back and forth that I noticed. I didn't know this before, but I picked up on it as I was reading the lyrics. So in mixtape, Jesse says, I got a $20 bill that says, no one's ever seen you without makeup. You're always made up. So the message that he's saying is that you're fake. Everybody in Take Mac Sunday is fake. John Nolan, you're fake. And then in the Take Mac Sunday response in There's No I in Team, Adam Lazara says, and I've got a $20 bill that says you're up late night starting fist fights with fences in your backyard. So he's essentially a pouty baby who is punching inanimate objects. Yeah, probably an angry drunk. Yeah, or he's an overly aggressive angry drunk. I think both probably. There is that nice back and forth. As I mentioned earlier, one of Brand New's big influences was Morrissey and the Smiths. And this is the song where they name drop both the Smiths and Morrissey, who was their lead singer, who later went on to have a pretty successful solo career. I saw that, yeah. So going forward, Brand New does actually make a couple songs that sound very Smiths-like, but I just thought that was such a funny reason to like dislike somebody. It's like, I hate the way you always criticize the Smiths and Morrissey. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's such a very high school reason saying, oh, this girl doesn't like the same bands as me, so that's why we don't get along. Those are my idols. How dare you? Yeah, it's kind of like, get over yourself. And then the chorus in this one, Keenan, says, I know that you're a sucker for anything acoustic. This line reminded me of that dude who always brings the acoustic guitar to the party. Every group has one. To try to get some girls to maybe fall for him. <laughs> yeah, I was always so envious of that guy. What a cool guy. I wanted to be that guy. At the time I was, but looking back, I don't really think I'm glad that I wasn't that guy. Are you sure you weren't that guy? I've never played the guitar. Yeah, but with your violin, maybe. <laughs> Around the campfire, a little acoustic violin. Ladies, can I serenade you over here in the corner? <laughs> <laughs> It's like at the macaroni grill when the opera singer comes around. Yeah. I was going to say, um, you could have been in a mariachi band. That could have been your scene. See, that actually would have been cool. That would have been really cool. Um, I don't want to do an impression of a mariachi band playing Wonderwall, but it would be way cooler than some dude with an emo eye patch playing Wonderwall. <laughs> Which, how did that become the acoustic guitar bros anthem? I don't know. Is that from a movie or or something? Because that, that is the song, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, if you're making fun of that guy, you say, oh, maybe. Yeah. 
I, I don't know where it began. I don't know what the reference is. Is that just an easy song to learn? I think so, yeah. That might be it. We need to pick a new guitar guy anthem. Okay, let's pick the anthem. That would be cool. That would be pretty cool. Sitting around a campfire playing the anthem? I was thinking maybe a Dave Matthews song. Oh, but those are so long and convoluted. <laughs> we don't need these these guitar bros playing anything longer than that. That's true. It probably has to be something that can just be strummed down on a couple chords. I did also want to mention, this is not my favorite line on the album, but it's one of them. And this is the pre-chorus. This is the first song for your mixtape. It's short just like your temper, but somewhat golden like the afternoons we used to spend before you got too cool. Hmm. That also might be, again, talking about our buddy John. That is a pretty crappy feeling when you feel like you lose a friendship because one of you might be, I guess, elevated into another friend group or something like that. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's what I felt about you, Mike. Right. Like when I got really cool and popular and... And you left me in the dust. Everybody made fun of you because you were a coxswain on, this, on the crew team. Yeah. And just carried everybody's... Uh, Gym bags. And jock straps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they gave me their old smelly jock straps to carry to the locker room. That was my one uh, responsibility. But boy, did I do it well. <laughs> <laughs> they wanted you to wash them, but you just like take them home. <laughs> and wear them. <laughs> now, when the crew team would erg and practice and like, puke their guts out for hours on end. Did you have to do any of that? Um, I would just serenade them with my acoustic guitar, <laughs> <laughs> which would inspire them. When they were working out, I was, I was like in the back with some dumbbells just doing bicep curls. Just working the glamour muscles. They were not fans of that. I can't imagine I would be. <laughs> Track number five, Failure by Design. you on the ones and twos through a window in a well-lit room become a recluse and i blame myself because i make things hard and you're just trying to help and when i wake up you're the first to call this is one more late night basement song and i'm so sore my voice is gone to hell this is one more sleepless night because we this one to me felt like it was the quote-unquote life sucks song like simple plan had i'm just a kid some 41 had a couple of those too, where it's like, oh, it's hard to get out of bed. I think motivation was one of those. This one felt like that for brand new. You're late to things. You're tired all the time. You're unhealthy. You're pushing people away who are trying to help you. It, they just sort of listed out like, these are the horrible things in my life. Right. Yeah. The chorus says, this is a lesson in procrastination. I kill myself because I'm so frustrated. And every single second that I put it off means another lonely night. I got to race the clock. I'm a pretty bad procrastinator, so I know this song is kind of cheesy and corny, but I always appreciated that line. What's your worst example of procrastination in high school or college? I don't have one worst example, 
just the same example over and over and over again. <laughs> so I was an English major, so my big plight was just writing these long research papers. Or I was fine doing the creative writing sort of stuff because that was actually pretty fun. But when you got into the more annoying like term paper type stuff where it was like 20 pages, cite your sources, mm. I would just put it off until not the night before, but definitely in the week of and just stay up till early morning hours all that week. Just miserable. And I never learned. I did it over and over again. I think the worst of those was it wasn't even the worst paper topic. It was a paper about Allen Ginsberg and poets in the 60s. So it was kind of interesting. So I'd stayed up all night finishing this paper and the class was at 9.45 the next morning and I slept till like 11.30. (laughs) So I just slept through the entire (laughs) class, which was a legitimate excuse. But when I emailed the professor, I'm sure he was just like, this guy didn't finish his paper. He was just, yeah, he skipped class to finish his paper. It's giving me anxiety thinking about, and it reminds me of during the Simple Plan episode, we talked about my most consistent nightmare is showing up to a final, not being prepared at all. Right. Haven't been to the class all semester. You essentially lived that in real life. It was awful. And our friend Eric Rakina was in the class. So he was texting me. Like, I woke up to all these texts from him. Like, dude, where are you? Hey, class is starting. We're handing in papers. Where are you? And so I woke up drowsy, forgot to set my alarm, I think was the, the main culprit there. Oh, yeah, that's the problem. Well, because I probably just passed out. But then I looked at my phone. I'm like, oh, my God. So it just sunk in. Mine is extremely similar. I vividly remember my junior year of college. We had to do two long research papers our junior year. We had to do one in the spring, one in the fall. And I remember the one I did in the fall, I procrastinated. Not terribly, but I definitely procrastinated it. And did it all very last minute. Came up with my sources very last minute. Wrote it in a couple days. Turned it in, was not confident about it at all, and came back and I had an A minus, and I was so pumped. And I was like, oh, that was easy. I can easily get by here. When I had to do the same thing in the spring, did the same exact thing, came up with my topic last minute, sources last minute. It was even more last minute. And I remember sitting in my college cafeteria and I pulled an all nighter and wrote the entire 40 to 50 page junior term paper through the night. Walked straight to class, did not sleep a wink, walked straight to class from the cafeteria, no shower, no food, turned it in, was like, oh, okay, that was a pretty miserable experience, but I'm sure I'll be able to skate by again. D plus. (laughs) (laughs) I remember getting the grade emailed to me midsummer and I was like, "Ah, okay, that's fair. (laughs) Midsummer? Was it a summer class? No, it was a spring class, but I remember we turned it in late spring and we got it like early summer. And Dude, talk yeah. about procrastinating. That professor was taking their GD time. My professor should have gotten a D plus for grading. This is not bringing me back to a happy point in my life, but for those late nights when you're literally up maybe one or two hours of sleep, did you have a drink of choice? Like, were you a coffee guy or were you like a energy drink guy? Oh, it was definitely coffee over energy drink. Oh, really? I yeah. was coffee the next day, but energy drink overnight. I started getting into Wawa sells these caffeine pills. Oh, no. I mean, it wasn't like I wasn't like uh, Jesse Spano and Saved by the Bell and she's addicted to pills. Do you know I, that episode? I can't. I can't. 
I'm so excited. I'm so, I'm so scared. <laughs> Dude, talk about poignant TV episodes. Yeah. Man, that was big. But no, I wasn't like addicted to pills. It was like I'd pop, if I was, if I got two hours of sleep, I'd pop one in and then I'd go to class. That's what everybody says when they are, dude. <laughs> I swear I don't have a problem. <laughs> I can quit whenever I want. I was a sugar-free rock star energy drink guy. Oh, yeah. That just sounds good. I feel like I can taste that. It's like very metallic tasting. I think it's the taurine. <laughs> oh, like, yeah. Taurine. Yeah. It has the four ingredients around the rim and it just has caffeine and then three other ones that sound like they're words that sound like caffeine but they're not words i've ever heard of it's like guarine taurine and nitroglycerin yeah <laughs> two of those and i mainly just stayed awake because i thought if i fell asleep i wouldn't wake up again yeah well you do have a history of it so oh like oh you think that you would actually like die is what you're saying <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> oh geez real quick before we move on i was thinking recently how much caffeine was in the original four loco Oh, I wouldn't even know how to ballpark it. Probably a lot. Okay, so first of all, a can of Four Loco was 23 and a half ounces and had 156 milligrams of caffeine, which is about an eight ounce cup of coffee. Yeah, that's actually not that much. Four Loco was also 12% alcohol by volume. Oh, really? <laughs> well, that explains a lot. Yeah. Speaking of nights where you don't remember things and wake up feeling sick, those were... Classic Four loco Nights. Yeah, those were the nights when you actually swallowed the lighter by accident. Yeah. <laughs> What'd you call them? Couple Siggy... Siggy Wiggies. Couple Siggy Wiggies. Those were nights when you didn't brush your teeth. No. Wait, you brush your teeth at night? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> Not anymore. Uh, we're adults. We don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> I don't even use water anymore. Just use your toothbrush to get stuff out of your teeth and then use mouthwash i just do my finger most of the time <laughs> stride right strips yeah. so i did read mike that this song was actually about jesse procrastinating writing lyrics and writing songs he was essentially going through writer's block and ended up writing this song about the experience of not being able to write songs which is obviously very meta very meta that's the type of thing that I feel like writers think people would be into like, oh, the writing process. But it's like, we don't, we don't care. Unless it's Fallout Boy. I care about their process because it was such chaos, but I don't care about this one. Yeah, they're kind of very intricate. Yeah. But it is a pretty decent song. And I did notice, we talked about it before, the do-do-do-do, like the do-do's in pop punk. Like Blink-182's na-na-na's, yeah. Right, yeah, the na-na-na's. So mm -hmm. this song does have a do-do-do, do-do-do. And there's a line about not putting filler in his songs. Right. And he ends up putting filler at the end of the song. Right. I thought that was kind of funny. I assume that was intentional, but. I think it was. Because after the do doo doos it's hard to hear, but they sing, baby, I'm better than this. Right. Exactly. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. So maybe the meta was a little bit like, huh. That's what we did like after all. After <laughs> you just said that, we didn't. <laughs> wow. Don't you look stupid? He still sucks, though. Track number six. Last chance to lose your keys.
that hi-hat intro, who did it better, brand new or American Hi-Fi and flavor of the week? Why don't you take a listen for yourselves? Nerds. <laughs> Can we be mean to our listeners? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Obviously, American Hi-Fi, that's a better song. Yeah. Which one did the hi-hat intro better, though? Whereas the last song was the quote-unquote Life Sucks song, this one I thought was the Girl Sucks song. Yeah. I'm better off home on a Saturday night with all my doors locked up and tight. I won't be thinking about you, baby. Yeah, and the beginning of the song is him being stood up by a girl. Like, he shows up for a date, and she's not there. She's still at home. And it does kind of suck, like, putting in all that work and then just being embarrassed like that. Like, who's rude enough to do that? Right. I feel like it's so much more common in the dating app era to do that because it's so less personal. Yeah, you're right. That's all that ghosting that the kids are talking about. Is that what the kids are talking about? I think so. Man, kids. Again, as we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, these were songs that they had been sitting on for a couple years. So a lot of high school themes, but I guess it gets a little repetitive. They have said they really didn't like performing songs from this album as their careers kind of evolved. Mm -hmm. And I was looking through their set list and they really stuck to it. They didn't perform a ton of songs off this record. Well, I think part of it was probably the fact that they are very high school sounding songs right. and a lot of the themes are very immature. And I think part of it was also the fact that it had to do with this Taking Back Sunday feud, which I know that they eventually got over, they made amends, they became friends again. And so for all those reasons, these were probably just very outdated songs to perform. Right. But I do like going back to that theme of how high school these songs are. Towards the very end of the song, Jesse says, forget everything you think you know about me. This isn't high school. <laughs> Throughout this album, he's like the most high school person in the world. Like, talk about the pot calling the kettle black. It's like, dude, you're high school. Right. You're the one that's holding on to old grudges and old feuds and old relationships. Your girl left you to go make out with Jude Law. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you think you're worth... Uh staying home for <laughs> the first half of the song makes you kind of feel bad for somebody because you feel like he's on the raw end of the deal but then by the end of it i found myself just being so annoyed by him track number seven logan to government center mike this is my absolute favorite song i think my favorite favorite song i think on the album is this one <laughs> just kidding i know this one's your favorite song it is <laughs> Check, 
this was a tough choice for me. This album, I don't think there's a song that I really dislike, but this was the one I liked the most. I never really got the title, though. I had always assumed that Logan meant Logan Airport, which is the airport in Boston. I never knew what government center was. I just assumed that it was another location in Boston. And so I looked that up. And yeah, sure enough, it's a reference to the Boston Airport. Government center is an area in downtown Boston where City Hall Plaza is. So Boston City Hall is located there. So why that reference? I'm not entirely sure. It must be some personal story or some inside detail that we don't know about. I have some thoughts on it, but... Wow, now I feel really dumb, actually, because I'm just realizing this in real time, but this is just a song about a girl he's dating that lives in Boston. Yeah. And it's about him just flying to Boston, right? Okay, yeah, that's that's what I was going to say, yeah. Okay, I literally just put that together in my head. So. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so stupid. So he's in Long Island. He's dating this girl who lives in Boston, and my guess was that Logan to Government Center, she probably lived in the Government Center area in Boston, and so he would fly there, obviously leave the airport, and then make that trip to where she lived. And so right. he was just reminiscing on that route. Man, everything's starting to make sense. Yeah, piecing all together. The phone bill stacked up by my bedside with your picture. You're looking surprised. You're what makes New England so great. My island nights are all spent dying. Wait for summer to become wrought with lips. My wishful thinking. So yeah, it's long distance. He's waiting for summer when she'll be back in town, I guess. Yeah. And you know what my dumb brain thought? I always thought, oh, New England, that's kind of a long way from Long Island. But I guess that whole Northeast area could be referred to as New England. <laughs> How stupid is that? Hey, that's not stupid at all, Mike. Thanks. But what were you going to say? Well, I was just going to say that there are a couple different themes that we've heard before all kind of baked into this. The one is long-term relationships. But the difference is that in Jude Law and A Semester Abroad, it's like this horrible long-term relationship where his ex is off carousing with new men. Right. And this one is a affectionate long-distance relationship where things are going well and he's looking forward to making that trek from Logan Airport to her house and government center. So there's that. And then also there's the theme of summer flings because he's going to see her in the summer. That's like that newfound glory song. It's been a summer. Remember that was all about that steamy summer fling that we were talking about. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of a couple different themes that we've heard before. Then this sounds like a healthier relationship than others we've heard so far on this album. It's like the one positive song that actually is on this album, maybe, I think. Maybe that's why it's my favorite. This song is my favorite song on the album, and it also has my favorite line, my tattoo line. Oh! Yeah, so I know I mentioned it. I'm not sure how many albums I've done this on. I think I did it on Newfound Glory and Sum 41, but... I think you only did it on Newfound Glory, but I could be wrong about that. We did say on Sum 41 that we both loved the line somewhere ahead of the back of the line. That is true. So that would be your tattoo lyric? From Sum 41, yeah. Okay. But on this one, so it comes from the part of the song that says, you're a blue-eyed lightning bolt, I'm a national phenomenon, nothing's absolutely definite until it's absolutely definitely gone. Whoa. So that second part. Holy moly. Pretty deep, right? Yeah. So I think, I think this should be a new segment, and I think you should also say where you would get it tattooed. Oh, man, that's too much to keep track of, dude. I'm, I'm taking down notes. I'm just going to say my, uh, since I have huge biceps from 
doing all those curls while the crew team was working out. Wait, no, that was me. <laughs> oh, shut. <laughs> I know that sometimes you uh, confuse our realities and our <laughs> memories, but uh, yeah. No, in all seriousness, I think you're right. That would be a fun segment. And um, our buddy John actually said that he enjoyed that. So Thanks, John. Shout out to John. Thanks, John. But all right, fine. I'll get this one wrapped around my ankle. Ooh, yeah. That's pretty spicy. I like that. Which ankle? You have two of them, dude. We definitely should make this a segment, but I don't feel like discussing my body parts every week. No, that's why I'm in it. (laughs) I'm in it for the body parts. Which ankle? You didn't say which ankle. That's important. As I said it, I rotated my index and middle finger around my right ankle. Okay, there you go. Right ankle. So to give you a full picture of what we're working with here. Should we go back and pick body part locations (laughs) for the other tattoos or should we just let bygones be bygones? (laughs) Um, somewhere ahead is the back of the line. Actually, it would be a great tramp stamp. I was going to say that should be near your tuchus. Yeah. (laughs) When I'm wearing a halter top in the summertime. Spaghetti straps. Yeah. And on Newfound Glory, my favorite line was, I don't believe in short things. There's pain in what the truth brings. So I don't know. I'll get that one. Also on your tuchus. I'll get that one around my left ankle. (laughs) Okay. So currently you have... Two ankle tats and a tramp stamp. <laughs> so the right. ankles are out going forward. <laughs> a lot of body parts left. A lot of Moina ham left. <laughs> Honey baked Moina ham. Track number eight. The No Seatbelt Song. Ooh boy. So, Mike, I'll be real with you for a second. Hit me. I'm not a huge fan of actually saying my least favorite song on the album. I know that you enjoy doing that. This one is by far my least favorite song on the album. It's really slow, and I don't think that makes it bad because I actually enjoy when pop punk bands do slow songs usually, and I think Brand New actually has a couple slow songs that I really like, but this one was just like not that interesting, kind of depressing. Like I think I wrote down that this was like some sort of depressing love song. It didn't even really make sense to me, to be honest. Yeah. I like every song on this album, but if I had to choose just one as my least favorite, then I think it would be this one as well. Oh, okay, so we agree on that. Perfect. For me, it's either sometimes if I'm in the mood, I'll listen to it. Sometimes I'll just skip right past it, honestly. Okay, yeah. There was nothing that stood out about it. It just was kind of slow and boring, to be honest. But I think what he's trying to say, so it was kind of this love song... It's as if she's the seatbelt and she's keeping him safe and together. And when she's not around, when he doesn't have her, he's unhinged and he's not safe and he doesn't feel like himself. So she's like this safe presence in his life. I guess that message is kind of cool, but the way it was presented just doesn't really do it for me. Yeah, that's definitely a cool way of seeing it. And I think that could definitely be the intention behind the, the name of the song. And the chorus is just, it's only you beautiful. So, I mean, I guess that's a 
quotable line for your aim profile or your the date in your profile when you put hearts next to you when you started dating your boyfriend or girlfriend. But it's kind of funny that many of these bands were probably thinking about that, like, oh, I need to make the perfect line that these kids are going to use in their aim away message. Yeah, that was like a real consideration they probably had. Oh, is she talking about me? <laughs> it's like, no, she's not. <laughs> no, she never is, you idiot, Keenan. I mean, she's never know. will be. The only other line that I wanted to mention real quick was, I shot the pilot, now I'm begging you to fly this for me. And that line always reminded me of Lost, the TV show. Mm. Mm-hmm. I've heard of it, sure. Just because they were constantly trying to find somebody who could get them off the island. There was a lot of dead pilots on that show. Did they ever find that person, Mike? Yeah, they actually got off a couple times. Hmm. That's my favorite show of all time. Of all time? Yeah, so far. It's the one I took the most interest in while I was watching it. We used to watch it together every week with the HH gang. Yeah, but I jumped in on it during that season. It was like the second to last season. What was that, like season six or seven? Yeah. So I had no idea what... I knew the premise, but I had no idea what the buildup was. I just knew that season. But it was very interesting. It actually wasn't that hard to get engaged that late in the game. Now it was a really good show. And I continued watching it every week with uh, Sean and Steve Wood and Steve Montgomery in college. So. Oh, so you rewatched it? Well, it ended our freshman year of college, I believe. Oh, yeah, yeah. But no, I've done a couple of rewatches since then. I watched it with Abby once after we went to Hawaii because she wanted to see all the places that we... I made her drive around the island of Oahu, seeing all the places they filmed. It's probably best to watch that after you fly to Hawaii and not before you fly to Hawaii. Definitely. We were nervous enough about that, um, I don't even remember, 13-hour plane ride? Abby especially, so I don't even remember how long it was. I tried to put it out of my head, but it was a long plane ride. That is very long. Plenty of time to crash. One time I flew to China, that was like an 18-hour flight. That sucks. What did you go to China for, crew? Yeah. Like, they don't have rivers between here and China? Uh, no, we actually rode all the way to China. <laughs> That's awesome. I was just doing bicep curls the whole time. <laughs> row, row, row your boat. <laughs> Track number nine is called 70 times 7. Hey, quick test, Mike. What's that number? Don't look it up. 707. You nailed it. It is 707. Really? No, of course not. It's 490. Everybody knows that. I didn't have to Google that. So as we know, as we discussed last week, this was the song that Jesse wrote that refers to the Taking Back Sunday feud. And so he wrote this song. It was a shot at John Nolan and the rest of the Taking Back Sunday band. And then Taking Back Sunday returned the favor with There's No I in Team. And so we mentioned it briefly, but I think it's important to reiterate. In both songs, both bands say... Is that what you call tact? You're as subtle as a brick in the small of my back. So let's end this call and end this conversation. What's similar but different between the two songs is in the brand new song, there's the line, 
when you say best friends means friends forever. Taking Back Sunday retorts with best friends means I pulled the trigger. Best friends means you get what you deserve. That's a pretty biting line. It is. And I would say that there's no coming back from that. But as we've learned, there actually is. Shockingly, they did come back and became friends again. That what you call tact. You're as subtle as a brick in the small of my back. So let's end this call and end this conversation. And is that what you call the getaway? Well, tell me what you got away with. Because you left the phrase from the ties you severed when you say best friends means friends forever. As I mentioned earlier, Brand New is pretty biblical. They like making religious references. Even their merchandise. They used to sell t-shirts that said, fight off your demons, but with all the vowels removed. Whoa. And their website was always fghtyrdmns.com. So this is another biblical reference, 70 times 7, from the book of Matthew, chapter 18, verse 21 to 22, if you're... I was just going to say, Mike, yeah, that's, that's where it came from, yeah. <laughs> if you're looking, if you're trying to look it up for your nightly scripture reading, then Peter came up and said to him, Jesus, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Which like, come on, Peter. <laughs> Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Whoa. As you mentioned, that's 490. What Jesus is actually saying is, infinite times right no matter how many times your brother or your friend wrongs you or does you dirty well actually not infinite times just up to 490 after 490 you're good it's a metaphor it's a metaphor jesus is being metaphorical mm. maybe allegorical maybe hypothetical <laughs> maybe hypothetical maybe hyperbolic could be maybe hypothermic i hope not i think i've just gone off the rails there it's okay but I don't know if that was something saying like... Wouldn't that mean that he's trying to say he forgives him? Yeah, the only problem is it's the title of the song in which he wants him to have another drink and drive himself home. Yeah. Hopes there's ice on all the roads and thinks of him when he forgets his seatbelt and again when his head goes through the windshield. It's pretty insane. The lyrics are very violent and aggressive. Also, I'm sure he offended a lot of people with lines like that. Yeah. But I think that's what makes this song so great is just the absolute insanity of lines like that. It is one of the best songs on the album. Yeah, it's not my favorite song, but I think it's the best song on the album. And there are so many good lines in this song, but there was always one that stood out to me as just being so stupid. It's, I've seen more spine and jellyfish. I've seen more guts in 11-year-old kids. Oof. I just thought that was such a lame line. Also, Jesse probably shouldn't be saying 11-year-old kids at all. No. Should steer clear far away from that. And this is actually looking back through their set list, one of the few songs they continue to play live throughout their touring careers. I think I read that when they toured with Taking Back Sunday at some point after they resolved their feud, Jesse actually 
took part in and probably sang back up on There's No I in Team. And members of Taking Back Sunday, probably John Nolan and Adam Lazara, would perform 70 times 7 with Brand New. So that was like the ultimate Olive Branch. Hey, Olive Branch. There you go. Biblical. Nice, dude. Yeah. Bring that all back. Heck yeah. So it's funny because I wanted to, I've seen Brand New three times. When I was trying to see what old songs they still played in their most recent sets, I realized I saw them play this song one time. It was the first time I ever saw them my senior year at Penn State. Can I give you a little bit of an overview of the concert? Yeah, sure. So it was one of those end-of-the-year concerts. I don't know if Princeton ever had them where they would have a couple bands come. Mm -hmm. It was always like the weirdest assortment of bands. (laughs) Yeah. They were trying to make everybody kind of happy because they were using your tuition dollars to fund it. (laughs) That's right. So I had been trying to see Brand New all through high school, all through college. Their tickets always sold out because they would play consistently small venues and then the lineup is announced for penn state's end of the year concert moving on and brand new is one of the acts they got so it's the first time i ever saw them i went with steve sean our buddy jesse and lexi and mario who were visiting and um it was just crazy that i've been trying all these years to go see them in concert and i was able to walk less than a mile from my apartment drink for a couple hours in the afternoon before we saw them and they played like a 10 song set and it was great but that's awesome they were kind of the opening act and guess who they opened for so this was 2013 so you think of in our minds brand new is one of the bigger bands that were around at that time like in our little world give me a genre it was a rapper and then another alternative band that's kind of like a psychedelic kind of band i guess you could say like a fake psychedelic band okay i'm gonna give it a whirl Wiz Khalifa? No, that's a great guess, though. And you said, like, a fake psychedelic rock band? Yeah. Think of, like, what kids would smoke pot to in high school and think was, like, deep. Pepper? No. (laughs) These guys were probably bigger than Pepper. They had, like, two or three huge songs. So I'll tell you the rapper, because you're not going to get the rapper. He came on after Brand New. It was Big Boy from Outkast. Oh, nice. Yeah. But not Outcast, just Big Boy. Doom, doom, doom. Yeah. <sighs> Here's your clue for the band that headlined the show. Okay. See if you can get it. MGMT? Yeah. Oh, nice. So don't you think, looking back, like, why the hell was brand new? Not even just opening for Big Boy, but MGMT was the headliner of that show. It just seems silly in 2020, but I guess they were huge back then. That's just a weird concert yeah i think we left after brand new skipped big boy because again we could just walk 10 minutes back and forth right we like went to get dinner and then we walked back for mgmt but by that point it was just like the night had kind of taken everybody so it was like stoner kids and drunk kids and it was like yeah people swaying back and forth and we were like eh, let's go out somewhere <laughs> oh i can see the end the end of those shows being just a mess we were just waiting around for them to play kids, and they never played it. And we were like, really? Are you freaking kidding me? I like that you describe them as fake psychedelic, because that's like actually the perfect description. They're like electronic. I don't even know how you describe them. In case them. we have any deadheads or huge fish fans listening, I didn't want people to get all bent out of shape about... Bro, how dare you say that? <laughs> I don't know. We're probably going to piss off some pop punk fans going forward with what we consider pop punk, so we might as well just keep pushing boundaries. Bro, I'm telling you, the Click 5 is totally pop punk. I would argue they are, at least for one or two songs. 
I would too. <laughs> <laughs> Just the girl I'm looking for. <laughs> Song number 10, Secondary. So the one difference about this song that I know is Keenan is this is the one song where Jesse's actually goes from being the loser to the cool guy. Cause this song's all about him singing to a girl who's dating another guy, telling her that they can't keep up this on again, off again, scandalous relationship they might have going on. Yeah, exactly. It's the perspective of the guy who's cheating with the girl who's cheating on her boyfriend. Right. It's like the other guy, the side guy. He's the side guy in this situation. It's a different perspective. So that makes it a little bit unique. Yeah, for sure. I also thought that it was the catchiest chorus in the album. I did like this song. I thought it was pretty good, but it was definitely one of the songs I was getting stuck in my head after I was listening to it. Right. I also noticed that Jesse has this tendency to refer back to college and semesters. <laughs> I know that's pretty funny considering we just talked about college and <laughs> you know semesters and homework and concerts but he does mention the fact that it's like oh she won't be there the next semester and stuff and so I needed to look it up because I wasn't sure that he went to college in the first right. place and sure enough he did for three semesters he went to Nassau Community College on Long Island which is where he's from obviously right and here's my popular segment Mike which famous people went there <laughs> is that your famous <laughs> This is my favorite segment. Remember in the Fall Boy episode, I explained all the celebrities that were from. Oh yeah. What was it? Wilmet. It was. It was Wilmet. Right, and we came to find out that there was nobody. Nuh-uh. Wow. You know that Rain Wilson is listening in right now, and he's very upset about that. <laughs> so celebrities that went to Nassau Community College. So Nassau. So we're talking Long Island. So maybe one of the New York housewives. Is that right? No. Okay. I mean, maybe. I don't recognize some of these names, but I'm going to hit you with some good ones. Okay. Brian Baldinger, a local guy. Oh, Baldy. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Wouldn't have expected that, I bet. Messed up fingers. Yeah. So there's one. Steve Buscemi. Uh, hey, I'm Steve Buscemi. Great impression. Yeah. Thanks. That sounded just like him. Randall in Monsters, Inc. Yeah, that's right. Love that movie. <laughs> oh, you mean Steve Buscemi from Monsters, Inc.? <laughs> I love that guy. He's from Monsters, Inc. My favorite actor. Billy Crystal. From Monsters, Inc., dude. Oh, he's from Monsters, Inc. <laughs> Whoa, that's so weird. He plays Mike Wazowski. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Wow. You don't think, what if they were like, I don't know how far apart in age they are, but <laughs> what if they were just at this uh community college together just vibing with these monsters ink lines from way back in the day i'm gonna just assume that that is what happened yeah <laughs> there's also probably some way bigger movie that they were both in like in the 90s or 80s that i'm not thinking of oh no doubt but 
I watched Monsters University literally today with Jack while he was eating lunch. So, what did Jack have to say about it? <laughs> that's an astute observation. He wouldn't eat lunch because he was just staring at the TV. So that's that's good parenting. There you go. Also, John Goodman. No, I wish. Oh man, that would have been incredible. But another local name, Razul Douglas, the Eagles' cornerback. Nice. How do you go from Nassau Community College to the Philadelphia Eagles? That's why we suck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he must have made a pit stop at a junior college. Some, a lot of those guys do that, I think. Yeah, they do. I think he went to, you know, he moved on to some, like, Big Ten school or something after yeah, that. Yeah, he didn't get his school of choice at first, so they go to a couple semesters of community college. Right. Also, Eddie Murphy, a lot of good comedians went to Nassau Community College. Interesting. That's pretty crazy. And then you ready for this last one? You're going to love this last one. Sure. A WWE wrestler went there. Let's see if you can guess it. Think of Long Island. Is it uh, Matt Cardona, Zack Ryder? It is. Nice. Yeah, is that cool? Woo, woo, woo. You know it. But we yeah, had one of my favorites from WWE back in the day as well. The Long Island Ice Z. <laughs> so Jesse Lacey was amongst pretty good company, actually, at Nassau Community College. But the reason why he mentions these semesters and, oh, I'll see her next semester and she studied abroad is because he did, in fact, go to college. So there you go. Nice. Solve that mystery. Well, I don't know if he graduated, but he went there for a few semesters. Yeah, unless he was a freaking whiz kid. I don't think he would graduate in three semesters, right? Right. And we all know that. <laughs> he is no whiz kid. He's a freaking loser. Maybe a whiz cheese kid. That's what you were, actually. Nothing wrong with, nothing wrong with cheese whiz. <laughs> Also, did I just say whiz cheese and not cheese whiz? (laughs) (laughs) Track number 11 is called Magazines. You know, the publication. Looking down in my dead bedroom, stuttering to pictures of you. I know that you can always see me. Saw you staring through my TV last Even in light of the recent issues that Jesse Lacey has had and the lyrics that we look back on now that don't look favorably in relation to those, this song is still hands down the creepiest song on the album. You think so? Why is that? Because this song is all about how obsessed he is with this woman, Letitia Casta, who's a Victoria's Secret model. And he's watching her on TV and looking at her in magazines and he is longing for her and wants to be with her but knows he never will be because she's a Victoria's Secret model and he's Jesse Lacey. Right. Is that normal behavior? Or? I always listen to the song as like, as like a high school kid, like a 16-year-old kid that was fascinated with like a supermodel or an actress or something like that. I didn't know who it was about. So I always did get the creepy undertones of this song of being obsessed with somebody. I always took magazines to be like adult magazines. Mm-hmm. But when he says, I'll be left alone forever with my magazines, he's just talking about lingerie magazines, which is kind of makes it even more sad. Yeah. Well, he's, he's essentially saying, so there's a line that says, 
I saw you staring through the TV last night. He thinks that she's looking back at him through the TV as he's alone in his dark, creepy high school room staring at this woman. And then at the very end, he basically acknowledges that he'll never be with her. So he says, I'm the only brokenhearted loser you'll ever need or I'll be left alone forever with my magazines. Like, okay, well, at least I still have you in these magazines. Like, dude, come on. He brought this upon himself. He probably cuts out our pictures and makes like a vision board. Yeah. It's bad, dude. This song is really weird. It's a creepy song and it's kind of sad. It's so sad. That's not how I listened to it when I was growing up. I always thought of it as like a Stacy's mom kind of song. I was going to make that connection too. Like that song is kind of similar, but we're all like, oh, Stacy's mom. What a fun, hilarious song. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's like a kid who thinks his, his friend's mom is hot. Like, you know, it happens. That's a part of growing up is like when you first start noticing like, oh, that lady's pretty. Like, I remember the first time I realized your mom was hot. <laughs> I was about to say, if you say my mom. <laughs> uh, shout out to Allison for being a absolute looker. But yeah, knowing that backstory now, it's less endearing and more just, like, sad. And I don't want to sympathize with this guy or empathize with this guy, but... Yeah, building up a history of being a creep. Yeah. And track number 12, the last song on the album, brings us to my favorite song, Soko Amaretto Lime, which is a slower song by Brand New. this song so much is because for me this song brings back a lot of memories of high school and in particular the summer before going to college the chorus is all about staying 18 forever so you want to stay a kid you don't want to grow up you don't want to have to move on to adulthood and adult life and have adult responsibilities and I remember listening to the song as I'm sure many people did as you were preparing to go to college and it's like, okay, this is that summer where I have nothing to lose. I have no obligations. I've got this huge chapter ahead of me, but I'm going to enjoy the end of this chapter as much as possible. And so it brings me back to those high school parties that you would go to in the summers, senior week, driving around with friends, not really going anywhere in particular, but just hanging out with people in cars. Just hanging out. Just hanging out. You know, I love doing it. 
And so it is a really nostalgic and feel-good song for me. I'm immediately transported to those old senior year summer memories. Singing everybody wake up. Two thousand nine, I distinctly remember as being a really great summer for me as well. It was a summer where I hung out with a lot of high school friends, went to Penn State to visit uh, Steve a couple times, got to meet my future college friends while I was there, hung out with a lot of camp friends. So it was this weird culmination of this crossroads. I'm leaving high school and going to college, but I'm still going to hang out with some of my friends, but not all my friends. I read an interview where Jesse actually said he wrote this song for one of his friends, Pete, who he actually mentions. And he was kind of part of their crew who they knew that they would be branching out and going in different directions and their lives might not bring them back together again, at least not in the same vein as where they were currently. So it's a weird feeling because it's this feeling of, I know these people are my best friends, but is this gap in time where I'm not going to see them, is that going to drive us apart? Right. Will we be as good of friends later as we are now? And there are certain people where you will find that time can go by months, years, and you can reconnect with them and speak to them again. And it seems like no time has gone by. And then there are other people where you could have been really close with them in the past and you might bump into them somewhere and it feels weird saying the spark is gone and for like a friendship but it's just you don't have as much to talk about as you used to you don't have as many shared experiences what i will say mike and i don't want to get too sentimental but it is kind of like us a little bit because i feel like you and i never really had like a big gap in friendship but obviously when we went to college there were extended periods of time where we didn't see each other and right what I think was great, though, is whenever we would be home and we'd see each other again, it was just like old times. Same thing recently, where you got married, had a baby, quarantine happened, we didn't get to see each other a while, and then we decided that we wanted to do this, and all of a sudden, it does feel like old times again. And similarly, the other day, we dropped our Sum 41 album where we talk a lot about the Gummy Bear Warriors. You and I texted the guys in the band and we sent them the video of the Gum Bear Warriors playing that talent show. And all the guys responded and were like, oh my God, this brings us such great memories. You and I haven't seen those guys, some of them in a few years. Right. And we were all reminiscing as if it was the old times. So it was kind of cool. Like those types of reunions are what this song is kind of about. You're right. I also don't want to get 
too emotional, Keenan. But if you cry, I'll give you fifty bucks. All right, let me see if I can swell up some tears. But it's been great doing this podcast with you thus far because listening to these albums does take you back to a certain point in your life and puts you back in the same state of emotion that you may have been in when you were 13 or 14 years old and reminds you of people that you were friends with at that time. And it makes you miss them and wonder, did you miss out? Should you have tried to do a better job of staying in touch with them? But from my experience, and I know you're in the same situation, we really appreciate people reaching out and saying, hey, I checked out your podcast. It was it was really fun. It reminds me of the good old days listening to these albums. So Yeah. And I talked to our buddy Sean Kylie from Camp and Penn State the other day, and it was a similar reconnection that we just talked about. I, I told him it felt like we had just hung out last year when we realized we hadn't seen each other since prior to my wedding over two and a half years ago. But we had a nice 45-minute conversation, and it was like no time had passed at all. So I think the times we're in right now where you can't really see people, it makes you miss them even more. We've been kind of diving into a weird emotional state where it's like we're listening to these things we listened to when we were kids, and then you kind of miss your friends from when you were a kid. And you also can't do much about it right now other than just text them or call them and say, hey, hope you're doing great. Maybe we can hang out at some point, which is really easy to do right now because there's no pressure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. But yeah, I feel like this is an all-time brand new song. The end of the song, I think, is also what makes it one of my favorites. I actually never knew the entirety of what they're yelling in the background leading up to the conclusion of the song. And so when I read the lyrics, I was finally able to see it. And it's actually kind of cool. And it's essentially like sticking it to old people, which just adds to this like, we're young, we're teenagers, we're carefree theme. So the entirety of what they're yelling is, you're just jealous because I'm young and in love. Your stomach's filled up, but you're starved for conversation. You're spending all your nights growing old in your bed and you're tearing up your photos because you want to forget it's over. Like, whoa, I actually didn't even realize how powerful and impressive that sequence was until actually seeing it on paper. So that was cool. And it's like, old people just want to be us. They want to be this young. They want to be having fun. They want to be carefree. And that's totally how we felt. We looked at the older generation and we're like, nobody can touch us right now. Like, these are the best years of our lives. So I thought that was cool. Yeah, so this is definitely an all-time song for Brand New. Perfect end of this album. And... This was actually the only other song I've seen them play live for this album. It was on their final tour. They had been selling t-shirts for about a year or so with 
just brand new and then 2000 to 2018 like a gravestone or a headstone there was all this talk within the brand new fan community that their plan was to hang it up after 2018 maybe do one more tour and then they had just put out their fifth album science fiction and call it a day on their terms so they were literally going to stay 18 forever as the band brand new that never really happened because of the allegations that came out against Jesse. You know, they canceled the end of their tour. They never rescheduled those dates. And I would be very surprised if they ever will. I will say, Mike, this was an album that I did not know that well coming into it. I think compared to all the albums that we've listened to and we've discussed so far, I definitely knew this one the least. And I was less familiar with it than the others. But I will say there were some songs that I totally forgot about that I did really like back in the day and I enjoyed re-listening to. There were also some songs that I think fell kind of flat, um, songs that I quite frankly didn't remember and there's probably a reason for that. And then there were some songs that, given what we know now, are just kind of inappropriate to be honest. I don't know if I would listen to them again because they just seem wrong with new information that we have in our adulthood. I'm almost kind of jealous from your perspective because I have been a fan of Brand New since I was 12, 13 years old. So it's tough listening to this band throughout their career. They were pretty much my favorite band for a large portion of high school and college. And then, you know, things ended the way they did. And it's tough to listen back to these albums without feeling a sense of guilt, I guess, which maybe that's wrong as a listener's perspective, but that's how I feel. It is a little sad listening back now, you're right, because you know that Brand New had such an amazing impact on pop punk and on emo and all the offshoots of those genres. But at the end of the day, you try your best to separate the artist from the music. We were trying to listen to these songs as if it was back then, and we were trying to think about the memories brought back, but it's hard to do because you know what the implications are. Right. I don't really want to discuss it too much further, but in doing some research prior to discussing it with you, there was an Absolute Punk interview from before this album was released. They were doing some press junkets at the time. So this is kind of a poignant quotation looking back, but I'll leave you with this. The interviewer asked Jesse, a lot of your songs deal with love, love lost, and basic teenage angst. Are most of these tales true stories? And so then Jesse responded, I think it's really cool when people can write from a fictional standpoint. Unfortunately, I can't do it at all. You could take any line from any song, and I could probably tell you in detail what I was thinking about when I wrote it, and the date and the time it took place. It's more of a curse than anything. That one felt a little bit like a wild ride, Mike. I think there were a lot of ups, a lot of downs. It was interesting and fun, but at the same time, there was a bit of a darkness to it. So I think we should lighten it up for next week. Next week, we'll be discussing what some people consider one of the first pop punk albums ever, one of the originators of the pop punk genre, Green Day's 1994 album, Dookie. I love that album, Keenan. I think that might have been when people 
started getting pissed off that this album was being referred to as punk. So that's why the pop punk genre was born. But we can dive into that more next week. Until next week, you can catch us at poppunkproject.gmail.com on Instagram and Twitter at poppunkproject. Check out our Patreon for behind-the-scenes content and some fun added bonus videos at patreon.com slash poppunkproject. Thank you all. We've had amazing input and support from all of you. We're having a blast doing this, and we're excited to continue to do it. As always, we hope you have the time of your lives. Good riddance. Pop, 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 yeah.